everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rob Murgatroyd Show. Each week, I have conversations with some of the most fascinating people on the planet that can help you live a life of fulfillment. Speaking of fulfillment, if you want to hire me as your coach, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if we are a good fit to help you create and design your dream life and business. That's robshowcoach.com. Before we get into today's episode, our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind event will be in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for the F1 race on November 16th to the 19th. So look, these trips are designed to get you out of your day-to-day, around some amazing entrepreneurs and provide bucket list experiences that will have you coming home re-energized to grow your business and bring your life to a whole new level. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. All right, let's jump into today's show. I can always be the really good salesperson for multimedia sales, but doesn't really fire me up, doesn't really tell me something that is future-based. It feels very much redundant. Like you can keep doing this work for the rest of your life and get somewhere, yes, but not fully realize your potential. We think that life needs to go around business or life needs to revolve around work. Well, it's the other way around. Work fits into your life. Our generation and the next generation is probably going to define if our world progresses towards a more hopeful future, but do we lose hope in a future that could be more beautiful than our present? Ajit, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Rob. Excited to be here. I am super, super pumped to have you here. And I think a good place to start would be to talk about growing up in the 80s, in Jaipur, India. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> like it was my life. <laughs> like it was your life. I know you had a lot of extended family around and there wasn't a whole lot of space growing up back at that time in your life. Maybe you can describe a bit about what that environment was like for you. Absolutely. So uh, I grew up in Jaipur, India, like you mentioned. I grew up in a household of about 23 people. We shared space uh, in the same house. And the reason was because in India, sometimes you tend to live in what is called joint family, which basically is you live with your parents, of course, but you also live with your cousins and your grandparents and grandparents, cousins and brothers as well in some cases, which was our case. Uh, There were two grandparents and then all the siblings and then their kids and so on and so forth. So we ended up about 23 people living in the same house, which which by any standards wasn't what that house was designed for. And so that led to, yes, an abundance of communication and conversation at all times. Something was happening all the time, but it also meant that there was no real space for anyone to have space physically and have space, like have space as a human being. There was just no space for for any of those things to come true. And that led me early on in my life to kind of reflect on what do I want to create in my life. And very early on, through some experiences that happened in that journey, I realized that one thing I definitely wanted was not to live in a place where I don't have space, physical space and otherwise space. I'm somebody who's a very reflective person, Rob. And so I like to take my time. I like to go for walks. I like to sit and and ponder on ideas and, and think about ideas. 
And because of that reason, I really needed more space for me, which started my journey very early on to, to look for endeavors and risks that would create the life that I today enjoy. That allows you to have more physical space so that you're yeah. not in that sort of cramped environment that you like. But I would suppose that when you were in that environment, that there's a bit of, and I don't want to speak for you, but I, I would suppose that 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 feels like home for you in some ways where you've got, you know, your, your, your all the, 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 the aunts and the uncles and the cousins and everybody around you. Does that feel like, is there a part of the space that you have now that's missing that, that, you know, being wrapped in the family? Yes. And now the reason why I say that is because I enjoy people a lot and, and we, we host a lot at our house. My family loves people as well. My wife loves people as well. So, so we host a lot and we have family over all the time. But I think that the difference between the, the, the reason for yes and a no is because yes, I do enjoy people. I do enjoy hosting people. I do enjoy my family. And no, because when every moment of your life is consumed by what somebody else wants from you, because that's kind of how interactions are when you're surrounded by people all the time. Yeah. It's about what do you want? What do I want? It's like a trade in, trade out all the time. Without, It's not conscious. It's not trying to get a trade in, trade out. It just happens to be. What tends to happen is that you don't get space for yourself to really understand what do you truly want. And that, if anybody has grown up in Indian culture that listens to this podcast, would probably Indian or I think Latin culture is similar. I think Italian culture is very similar where when you are surrounded by people all the time, it really has no space for you to find yourself. And when you don't find yourself, often what you are doing in life, what you're creating in life becomes a reflection of who is around you, right? Which can work in a good way if you have people around you that are aspirational, that are creating things, that are in alignment with what you want to create in your life, they're healthy and so forth. But if that's not the truth, that environment becomes restrictive to, to your life in many ways or the growth of your life in many ways. So I miss my family, but I am fortunate enough that I can bring my family to where I am and I have enough family within the country as well. And at the same point in time, so I can enjoy the family bits, but I can also not get so influenced by the dogma they may bring or limitation of mindset that may come from a household where there was lack of abundance of money as well. Of course, clearly, that's that's the reason why we were sharing a house the way we were sharing a house. So, so you don't lean into that. So I still get to celebrate my family. I get to enjoy my family, but I don't necessarily miss the setup that we were we were in. I don't feel like yeah. I'm missing home. Yeah, no, I get it. It makes perfect sense. I want to fast forward to you a little bit. I want to talk about leaving India for Malaysia. You decided that you wanted to intern at Mind Valley. What was it that prompted going back to that time in your life? You're in India. You're you're like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Malaysia, and I'm gonna I'm gonna work in in Mind Valley, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be an intern. Like, tell me about that time in your life, and what was the prompt that made you want to do this? Like we were talking about my life and I was, I was a teenager and I was wondering how would I create, you know, a life that was not this life? How do I get out of the house of 23 people? How do I, how do I really get to have the abundance and freedom and, and space that I really desired in my life? And that really prompted me to take a lot of risks in life, a lot of, a lot of chances in life. And I was doing well for the standards that was expected of me from, 
people around me. I was doing well already at that age, but I was personally dissatisfied with my journey. I knew that I had healed. I was in a setup where I will hit the glass ceiling and there was nothing to go beyond. I would mm-hmm. get complacent. I would I would find myself struggling to do the same job again and again. And that's just not something who I am. And I had been able to reflect on that. And so what had happened was I was working with one of the top media houses in India as their multimedia sales rep. Uh, so I was going to agencies and doing multimedia deals. And while I was very successful at it, I had proposed an idea to the founders of that media company to invest in me and start a new company. And we started a new company. And that company was successful for the first few months. And then Facebook showed up in India. Like Facebook kind of expanded its borders and got out of US and actually ended up in India and started promoting profiles in India. And what we were building technologically was very similar social network. It was a social network, really. Not as comprehensive and robust as Facebook even at that time, but it was a social network. And so what happened was I looked at Facebook and I was like, there's no way I can compete with that technology. And I don't even know what I have to do to make this happen. And that triggered an idea in my head to say, I need to figure out how I can learn this thing called the internet. So at that time, internet was, yes, used, but mostly as a user thing. Nobody really knew how to monetize internet. Right? how to use internet to, to create businesses or create a future of, of companies. This is, we're talking about year 2000, uh, 2008. We're talking about year 2008. So yep. it's, it's about 10, 12 years. And so I was like, I, I know this is going to blow up. I just don't know what to do about it. And so I started asking my friends, do you know companies that are excelling at this? And in India at that time, no company was really doing real work in the space of internet. And Coincidentally, one of my buddies was in Malaysia working for a student organization that helped students go from one country to another on internships to get real work experience. And he said, hey, listen, there's this tiny operation in Malaysia. It works out of a house. There are like eight employees in there. And they're a really fun company. And they really promote learning for the team members. Would you consider coming here to Malaysia? And I was like, sure. What else? I I mean, what what do I have to lose here? Because... I can always be the really good salesperson for multimedia sales, but doesn't really fire me up, doesn't really tell me something that is future-based. It feels very much redundant. Like you can keep doing this work for the rest of your life and get somewhere, yes, but not fully realize your potential. So I said, you know what? I'm young. I was I was 24 at the time. I was young and I was like, I've, I can go out and get some experience here. So let's just go. I was only intending to go for a year. So in December 2008, I ended in this small startup at the time, which now is, of course, a a behemoth in personal growth and transformation work. But at that time, it was a small company doing just a few hundred students. And I started with them as an intern. Really fascinating. So you learned a lot from Vishen uh, Lakiani. Did I say that right? Vishen, yeah. Okay. It just goes by vision. Yeah. Just by vision. Okay. So, and one of those things was to identify your limiting beliefs. What were you most struggling with at that time? And how did you overcome them? Oh, that's a that's a big one, Rob. It would be what were the big limiting beliefs I had at that time? I would say there was there is a there is there were a lot of beliefs that I had at that time that were unraveled one one at a time. And some of them I didn't even know I had, but I discovered in the journey of 
being in an environment, and that's why environment sometimes can be so powerful, right? Mind Valley is basically for the for the listeners who don't know is is a transformation company. It focuses on education for individuals that are grown adults most of the time and in areas of personal transformation. So it can be health, well-being, mindset, whatever you whatever you call it, energy work, whatever you call it, right? So we're working with individuals who are masters in their field. We were talking to people who are masters in their field, and they would say things that in my mind I was like, can that be true? So let me give you an example so you can see how immature my mind was. And today it's so hard to reflect as to what were those mindsets because there's so many. You interrupted it so, so much, yeah. Yeah, so so one of the days I, we were talking about something called law of attraction. Again, I don't know if people on this call know that what it is, but they look do. it up. Cool. So we were talking about law of attraction. I was like, that's bullshit. That doesn't work. Like, what are you talking about law of attraction? And so this person that was also one of the employees in the, in the company says, I just, would you be willing to do an experiment? I was like, sure, I'll do an experiment. Tell me what, do you, what is experiment. I know this is bullshit. This is just, you know, people saying things. It's not true. He yeah. said, okay, the experiment is this. Have you recently, you're in Malaysia, you live in Kuala Lumpur, which is city as city can get. Uh, have you seen a butterfly in the last week? Like, can you recall you saw a butterfly in the last week? And I thought for a second, I said, no, I don't, I don't recall seeing a butterfly. He said, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you that in the next 24 hours, you're going to see a butterfly. It's evening today, tomorrow evening when we come out for dinner. I, I, you, I guarantee that you will see a butterfly in these 24 hours when we are sitting down for dinner tomorrow. Would you be open to be present if you do, if you do see a butterfly? And just expect that, the, that a butterfly is going to show up in the next 24 hours. Would you just do that? Right. So it's, it's a simple thing. There's nothing to lose. You don't really have to do any work. You just have to think a thought. But like, sure, I will try to do that. And sure enough, next day in the morning, as I'm walking to the office, I see a butterfly. As I'm walking for dinner, I see another butterfly. So I don't only see one, I see two. And so that kind of broke my mind of how much I didn't know, how much I didn't know about how this whole thing uh, about the universe really works, how energy works, how our mindset works, how our thinking works, how our psychology works, how our bodies work. So I had that mindset at that time, one of the mindsets that I had at that time, but there were so many that were broken after that. For example, the wealth ceiling that a person thinks that they can make in a life, how long somebody can live was a mindset that I had. I, I had carried around saying, oh, all my family kind of dies around 65, 70. That's probably is the lifespan I will live absolutely a wrong belief to operate from and so on and so forth. So there were so many beliefs that were uh, as a domino effect that kept happening that to pinpoint one of them will be very difficult at this point. Got it. Makes sense. And it's interesting because at the time, I'm sure it was very real for you when somebody had the conversation about the butterfly, you're like, what the hell are you talking about butterfly? But now you're like, of course, makes perfect sense. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, in, uh, in 2011, you got an opportunity to become uh, the founder of Mind Valley India and the co-founder of Mind Valley in Italy. Maybe you can give me a little bit of color about what that point in your life was like. And you know, it's interesting to me because I am I am I'm an American obviously and I live in Florence, Italy. I happen to be in Rome this week. But when I think about the sort of Italian culture, they don't seem and this is just my own belief, my own generalizations they don't seem to lend themselves to this sort of psychology, methodology, you know what I'm saying. 
Is it different in different countries when you're having butterfly conversations, you know, in India, in Italy versus the U.S.? Maybe you can talk about some of the challenges that you had when you were, you know, the co-founder of Mind Valley in Italy. Absolutely. So I think this is this is one of those mindsets that we have is where we feel that certain culture is non-accepting of a particular set of ideas. If the ideas are too far out, they might be non-accepting of it. But most of the ideas that even in personal growth that we talk about yeah. are actually really visible in the history of the country. If you really listen or read the history of the Roman emperors, or if you read the history of how people have navigated over years, there will be reflections of some version of personal growth, some version of uh, meditation work. They might have called it differently. They may, might not have reflected on the Eastern way of meditation, but said tends to be more popular these days or more popular, at least in America. But they had their own version of meditations. It was often about sitting and pondering. And so every country has some version of personal transformation because personal transformation is not, we call it personal development now. It's really evolution. It's philosophy of life. It's about saying that we can be better as human beings. There's never been a point in society where we haven't said as human beings, not just Americans, everybody in society has always said we can be better than this. And that is why human race keeps progressing. That is why even when things get bad, we create better solutions out of those things and create a better world every day. So it's not that Italy doesn't have that, that attitude to invest in themselves. We may not have approached it in the right way to position it to certain individuals because there is a cultural bias. There is a cultural understanding. In America, you can talk about meditation straight up and people understand what you're talking about. In Italy, you might have to say it differently. Now, mm. I have no control. I am not an Italian speaker. I didn't know how to speak Italy. The reason why I ended up co-founding Mind Valley Italy is because my then partner was Italian. And they were also a, a member of the Mind Valley team. And so we co-created Mind Valley Italy, actually beyond Mind Valley first. So we created a company. And then that company was brought into the Mind Valley fold to become Mind Valley Italy. Interesting. Okay. So now I'm going to take you out of Italy and we're going to move you into LA. In 2015, mm -hmm. you moved to LA and you founded Evercoach. What is it and why did you start it? So while my experience in Mind Valley and Evercoach is still a partner company on Mind Valley, by the way, but my experience in Mind Valley was very fascinating. I by the time I I I left Mind Valley, I was the CEO of the company. I was running the whole company. But what had happened was, is in those eight or so years, I had found great joy in doing my work, and I had lost uh, touch with myself in a way. So I was great at my job. I was really crushing it. The company was growing. The team was really happy. We had great partnerships coming. The revenue was great. The customers were really happy. Everything was going great. There was no reason to believe that it wasn't going well. So it was all going really well until we went for our winter holidays in December 2014, winter holidays and then the Christmas holidays. So Mind Valley is a very international company. We have about 62 nationalities at that time. I think now we have 82 nationalities represented in the same office or within the same company. Yep. So we're like, all right, it's holiday season. Everybody goes back to home, you know, Europeans and Americans and Canadians. And everybody's like, this is our time with family. You're going to go back home. So we kind of shut down as operations. There's only yep. a few people left in the office. So a few people are left in the office. We're kind of like 
you know, hanging out. Not really that much work is happening. So I get an, uh, get a break for about a 10 days. And these 10 days become transformative for me. Because in these 10 days, as I'm sitting with myself, I realize that my partner and I are hugely disconnected. Like I'm not even, I don't feel like going to Italy to go hang out with, with my partner. I don't even feel like calling them to, to say, hey, how are you doing? Like we're not even talking on a daily basis. I had disconnected with my family back in India because I was just so ingrained in work that I was like, ah, I don't have the time to talk to you right now. And that just happened even over weekends. I had lost in touch with my own soul and my own body and I had gained weight and I had started creating health issues. My skin was starting to, to, to really, really get bad and so forth. And so I, I ended up reflecting and saying, what is it that I have if I stop my career today? And I realized there was nothing that I was excited about, nothing that I had invested time in. I had grown tremendously in my career. I scaled from an intern to a CEO in eight years, which is insanely great from an outside point of view. Yep. But if you look at the whole picture, suddenly you're like, but you sacrifice everything for it. Yep. And that kind of called me to say, I need to redesign my life. I had to rediscover myself. I had to re-question everything, rethink everything. And that led me in January 2015 to go to Vision as he came back from his holidays to say, I, I resigned from, or I need to resign from this role of CEO. It's nothing to do with the role. It's nothing to do with you. There's nothing to do with the company. I just know this is what my life has become. And I don't feel that I, I'm doing justice to myself in this journey. He's a very generous man. He was very accepting of it. He just simply said, can I get a few months so I can, you know, like regulate and kind of make sure everything's good? I said, absolutely, yes. And that started my transitionary period of almost, at that time, I said, I stopped. I, I quit my relationship with my partner at the time. I started reconnecting with my family. I started reconnecting with my friends. I started taking a lot of personal time away whenever I could so I can reconnect with myself, most importantly. And that started my journey to discover what is it that I really want to do. And what I really found joyous through my journey in Mind Valley was the joy I got in working with people who were creating great transformational ideas out of people who were really able to impact the people because of how they thought about things, how they were able to shift mindsets and energies and how they were able to shift health of people. That was really inspiring for me. And I said, one thing that I would really want to do if I had like, if money was no object, if I made no money doing it, is to empower more of such individuals. Individuals that can create change in the world because I feel that is my purpose. That is my calling. And, and with that calling, with my personal time, I said, what is the best way I can do? And I looked at the industry at the time and, and now it has changed a little bit. But at that time, if you looked at coach training platforms or a coach business training platform, they were very individualistic. They were pretty much about the person who created it. They were almost discouraging of other ideas that could be learned and understood by, by coaches to evolve their learnings. It was pretty much focused on marketing. Like everybody was just like, just market, just sell better. And I was just really disheartened by that because I don't believe in those philosophies. I believe it's the product that really is the hero of any business and the product is strong, you would really thrive in any environment. Uh, I really believe a coach needs to always keep evolving. And that's what I saw in these high-performing coaches that I was meeting and getting inspired by. And so I said, why not me create this platform? Why, why not just create the platform that I know any other coach will probably not want to because it just becomes about them 
And so it becomes very much about what, how they position themselves versus saying what's the best for the customer or is the best for the client. So I kind of took that idea. I shared with my, uh, with my, with my business partner, Vision at that time. And Vision was like, dude, we'll love to do it together. If you're down for it. And I said, sure, let's do it together. And that gave birth to Epicoach. Okay. And that was in 2015? 2015, yes. 2015. Okay. So you've been going with Evercoach since that period of time. It's still active. You're still booming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the face of the, of that brand as well. By face, it simply means it's like vision being the face of Mind Valley. We are not primary authors. We are more like making sure all the ideas are vetted. We like them. We vet each of the, of the trainers. We make sure everything is high quality. And we, of course, that becomes also the reason why we are the primary, you can say, the salesperson in a way, or the person that sells why you should get a program and why that program can be transformative and who should take it. So that's kind of our job in those platforms. We are the face of it is how I like to say it. It probably is not the best word for it. Hey, it's Rob. I want to jump in and take a quick second to say you got to get a coach. It just makes a difference. A coach can offer you perspective and accelerate your goals so much faster. If you want to work with me, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so I want to dig in a little bit to the coaching world because I put out a, uh, a tweet asking people to send me some questions that they had for you. So I believe that these were probably lots of coaches. But before I get into two or three of those, I want to ask you one of my own as it relates to sort of the coaching space. You have two children now. What advice do you have for people to balance their roles? Particularly, let's take a dad. Like, you know, if you're going to, like you're a dad now and you got two kids and you're running a business, but you you also take, want to take care of your body and you also want to take care of your spiritual life. Like, how are you pulling it all together? What advice do you have for people? I'm going to use the word balance and I, I know we can never have balance, but w- like, what advice do you have for people like that? I think the reason why this question becomes difficult is because we think that life needs to go around business or life needs to revolve around work. Whereas it's the other way around. Work fits into your life. So if you want to have a life, which is like, I have a pretty good health routine. I spend a lot of time with my kids. I take long vacations with my family. It's, it, I, I do whatever I feel I want to do. And then I find how to fit work into it instead of saying, this is my work and let's fit life into it. And the mm-hmm. reason why it's important to understand this is because let's, and I know this might become a little philosophical, but I think it's important to reflect on it, especially for anybody that is listening to this podcast and want to live a really full life, is what's the point of living? I mean, what is what are we here to do? Have we ever questioned that? Have you sat down and really said, this is what I would love to live? Like, you know, I want to live a life that I can live again. You know, like it's such a beautiful and so fulfilling and joyous life that I, I don't, I don't go, oh shit, it was so hard last year, right? I want to be like, that was amazing. Sure, if I have to, if it was Groundhog Day and I had to live it every day, I would do it because it's so fun. It is so fun for me. It doesn't have to be fun for anyone. It doesn't have to meet anybody's standard. It has to meet our standard, right? So I designed my life to be fun. I can live Groundhog Day, day after day, and I wouldn't have a problem. Not that I want it that way. Of course, you want variety in your life, but I can do it because I have fun every single day. I prioritize my life 
And work is a way we express our life in the outside world, right? Work and business and so forth. So if you are not living a full life, is that expression really that important? But it becomes important because we think about, like we prepare all our childhood to do some work in our life. We have spent 20 years or so doing school and graduation. All the one narrative that our parents tell us is, so you can be prepared for a job one day. You can be prepared to be an entrepreneur, an athlete one day, whatever it is. You're preparing for 20 years. A big chunk of your formative years is mostly one question being asked. What are you going to become? What are you training for? And of course, that puts us into this mindset of saying that's the most important thing. But is it? Is it? Or is it time for us to start questioning that? Start questioning what is really important? And once we identify that, now let's ask how work fits in. Because it will also change the work that we do. A lot of times we do work just for money. Why do we have to do work for money? What is the purpose of money? Money Mm -hmm. is just a means to get something, like an experience in life, freedom in life. Once you know that and you've built that relationship with money, money becomes easy because you also realize that you don't need that much money for your freedom and your joy. You need money, of course you do, but you don't need that much. So you don't have the chase and anxiety of more and more and more and more, which is most of the people. Like when I talk to entrepreneurs a lot, even people a lot, most more, more often than not, you would just say, yeah, I want to make more money than last year. And that's fair. It creates a chase in life, fair as an answer. But is there a deeper reason to making more money? Or is it just for the chase? For the chase is good, but then it shouldn't stress you out. It shouldn't break your head. You shouldn't take away time from your family because you're doing it for the fun of it, not because it proves you something. I love this. It's such an interesting conversation because I remember, you know, I'm 55 now. And I remember if I made $100,000, if I made 100 grand, my life, I'm going to be the richest guy. And then it was 200. Then it was 300. Then it was 500. Then it was a million. And it never freaking stops. That mark is always moving to the point where it's an addiction. Like, what are we doing? So for you, like, I love the fact that you put in the box life and fun first. And then you build the rest of it around it. So the question I have for you is, this is going to seem like the most basic question you've ever been asked, but I'm really curious. What is fun for you? What do you do for fun? So for me, it's a lot of fun to hang out with my kids right now. That's a uh-huh. new thing that has happened only in the past three years because my kids yeah. are really small. But that's like the best thing I can do all day, every day. The second thing that is really fun for me is to go for long walks with my wife because we have such amazing conversations. I just love it. I I love doing that. It's a lot of fun for me to just sit back and read books. I love books. I love spending time with them. I love thinking about those things. My recent passion has become to hit the gym and do strength training. But this is, again, Mm -hmm. very recent. I would say maybe in the last seven months, I've really fallen in love with strength training. Um, That's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of fun for me when I have my close friends in town or if I can go visit them or if they are in town. Right now, my close friends are all like in different cities and countries. Whenever I get a chance to hang out with them, that is really fun for me. All of those things are really fun. I love that. You know, I interview entrepreneurs all the time. And when we ask them about business, boom, they got all kinds of answers. They're really quick. And I say, what do you do for fun? They're like... Fun? Uh, I, uh, uh, well, I, I went on the weekends, you know, it's like they don't even understand it. So I love having a conversation like this with you. Okay. I want to talk about location. 
So I, I sort of believe that there's like nature, nurture and neighborhood. I think people give a lot of consideration into what they want to do with their life, but they give very little consideration into where they want to do it. And I know that you've recently moved California to Austin. And I feel like every single friend, I, I lived in Hermosa Beach in LA. And I feel like every friend I had literally all picked up and they all moved to Austin. Like it's crazy. What the hell is going on in Austin and why is everybody going there? So there, there are two parts to it. I always knew I didn't want to live in LA for a long time, not for my kids. Uh, like okay. my kids, I didn't want my kids to grow up in LA. And, uh, and the reason was mostly because my interactions with individuals who grew up in LA or were living in LA, kids that were growing up in LA seemed really superficial. I felt like even if they were deep individuals, they were always pretending to be something. Like yeah. they had a mask on. Yeah. And the reason why I would gauge that is because they would be one person one day and the next time I would be the, meet them, there will be another person. And they would change completely the moment they know my backstory or who I am and what I do in the world. They would change completely. And so I was like, that's just not the kind of environment I want my kids to be in where it's about who the person is, how much money they make or how successful they are. It's just, I didn't want my kids to grow up judging people by their financial success or business success. I wanted them yeah. to have a bit, little bit more, um, more understanding of humanity, like joy of humanity. And, and money is just like, it's potato, potato. So I always knew it's not going to be LA. I think recently what has happened is, and, and people can think about it the way they want to, but California had, when lockdown started, it had two things that happened. First thing, people got time to reflect. And things like what I just said, people really reflecting on who are my friends here, like friends, like people I'm calling upon saying, let's make a COVID bubble, right? You know, not COVID bubble. You know what I mean? Like the I bubble where we yeah. both don't meet anybody else. We just meet ourselves. Yep. And people were finding it hard to do that. <clears throat> or even if they did, they were like, I really don't like this person. <laughs> I, I don't know why they are my friends, but they are my friends and I really don't want to hang out with them. Right. And I get so it. a lot of people had a good wake up call at that time saying, oh crap, I have lived my life superficially and it, that creates a reality check. And then secondly, what California did initially was great in locking down and learning, but it's almost like they never learned from what had ha already happened. They didn't learn from numbers. They didn't want to look at numbers. They wanted to lean far left if I have to get political a little bit. Yep. And that for people like me who are not far left and neither are far right. We are somewhere in the middle. Centrist is probably the word that has been thrown around a lot now. I was just like, this is just not fair. Like, I'm not going to put my kid into a mask who's three years old and be in school, like in his play school for stupid, stupid. You know, four hours. It's just not fair to him. I don't want him to build that anxiety. And I was seeing kids building that anxiety. So I would think that was the one reason why people left California. For sure. And the reason why people move to Austin is because Austin is a centrist city. They have capitalistic values and they have democratic values. So they have both the values in the city. Maybe not in the larger state of Texas, yeah. but definitely in the city of Austin. It has culture. It has diversity. It has a diversity of just ease of access of people that you can meet. And, and so once one bubble started to move, I think everybody started to move because they were like, oh, my people are already there. So people that were in San Diego and LA and other Hermosa Beach and different places within <laughs> California were like, oh, but those great people that I know, 
that I would have loved to actually spend time with, but I never could because, you know, it takes 17 hours to get from Hermosa to downtown. Can't do it. Yeah. Uh, I actually can spend time with them because it takes 20 minutes now. Right. So as they start to come try Austin, I, I, every day somebody's moving to Austin. I totally hear you on that, especially from, from personal transformation community. And that's mostly because they can actually now meet people and people yeah. like that. People actually always wanted to do that, but you couldn't do it in California. Interesting what, what COVID did. I mean, I want to I, I want to move into to Florence, Italy. So I get it. People made all kinds of changes. All right, let's go to a couple of questions that the internets wanted to ask you. The first one is, what is the difference to you between coaching and mentoring slash consulting? So people look at the definition of coaching in many different ways, but but the simplest way to understand it is if you take some elements of consulting, consulting is pretty much directional and so is mentoring. Mentoring is purely based on experience. So there are actually three different things. Mentoring and consulting is different too. Mentoring is mostly... Uh, let's say you have a particular kind of experience, Rob, in your life, right? And that experience, you just say, hey, I'm willing to mentor people in that experience through that experience. So what you're really using is the experience of the past to mentor people who may be taking on the same role or similar challenges in life. That's mentoring. Pretty straightforward. Consulting doesn't require experience. Consulting requires understanding and data and interpretation of data and information. So it's more about what all diverse information you have read. So it's usually in business context. Very rarely do you have life consulting because it's it's kind of really difficult to capture that much information. Life is really broad and business is a small, much smaller thing to understand. So, so what you would do, you would do an MBA or you would do a, a, a consulting course that would allow you to really get certified as a, as a consultant, which basically the course will do is they will take the most common things that happen in business. We'll present you case studies around it. We'll tell you how to really think about a case study, present some good case practice around it. And what you're doing is now you're looking at a business and now you're saying, okay, your business is currently, let's say, struggling in marketing campaign. It'll say, let's put this through the filter of a marketing structure, see if it works. It doesn't work. Oh, it's not working because you have these three gaps. That's consulting for you. It's very, very much based. It's it's not based on experience. You can become better consultant with experience but you can become a great consultant already with simple education and understanding of things and your ability to take a lot of information and make some sense of it, right? So that's consulting. Coaching is coaching is an integration of some elements of consulting and some elements of therapy. So, so, so it's, it's much further away from mentoring. Mentoring is very, very far away from it. You can use elements of mentoring, but the reason why I say it's a, it's a it's a combination of consulting and therapy is because therapy uses the stories of the past of a person to therapy really di- digs into the past of a person to relieve them of that past in a way, right? It says yeah. what happened, something bad happened. Let's work on that bad thing. Let it go away, right? That's what therapy is. What coaching does, it says, what's the information in the past that I have of you as a person and how can I help you or guide you create a better future and this, the building some understanding of the past. It's not necessarily taking them through therapy. It's building an understanding of self using the past stories that a person might have, mindset, might, they might have limitations, they might have, and use that to re-engineer that and take and create a new future. Now, why I say consulting is a part of it is because, or there's an integration with consulting, is because con- like consulting, you're taking that information and you're creating a new reality, Right. Coaching mostly involves a lot more questions being asked than answers being given, mm. right? So it's a lot more, 
like how you are staying curious in this conversation, you would stay curious, but you would just keep digging and digging and digging until you find the truth of that matter for that person. And then use some of the, like I said, consulting elements or generally coaching elements, training elements to guide them to create a better future. So that's what coaching. Got it. The next question was, why has coaching become so popular in the last few years? It seems like every time I scroll my Instagram, there's some 20-year-old telling me how to live my life. What's going on there? <laughs> so, so coaching is, coaching has always been there. It has never got the term coaching before. So it's like personal growth. It's always been there, but nobody really called it that before until when somebody called it that. Coaching has become more and more popular because let's think about society. Okay. Overall society. I know I get a little philosophical about things, but that's how you can understand why certain things uh, bubble up and some things don't, right? Yep. Overall society, if you really look at the world's landscape in most countries of the world, our society has grown tremendously to the level where we have more comfort than pain. We have more comfort than pain. Even during COVID, a situation like COVID would have killed a lot more people across the entire world than it did because we have so many more comforts in medicine, in information dissemination, and so on and so forth, right? It comes to those challenges, but it is we have way more comforts than what we have as challenges. Now, what happens when we have more comfort than challenges? What happens is we start to make up challenges. So basically what our mind and our brains try to do is tries to always stay in balance. It doesn't want it to be too happy. It doesn't want it to be too sad. Homeostasis? Homeostasis, yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's the state we want to be in, homeostasis. Hmm. We don't want to be too happy. We don't want to be too sad. And now what is happening is we actually have a lot more ways to be happy, including getting a bag of chips, than to be sad. And so what it starts to happen is we start to create hmm. challenges in our life. So what previously were not even a thing we thought about, now are real problems. Anxiety is a real problem. Depression is a real problem. Mental health is a real problem. Us being feeling confident is a real problem. These were not problems before. These were things we had and we didn't care for because we had other problems in our lives. Now, while these problems are propping up in everybody's life, like how many more of our friends have reported that they feel anxious or depressed or sad or unhappy? Yeah. Yeah. And those are all challenges we have never trained in our life, in our school, in our college, even in our work life. We have never trained for any of this. We don't know how to deal with it. So this is a completely new body that needs to be worked on. It's very important because society is getting better and better. Despite all the garbage news that we can hear, society is actually getting better. We as human beings are getting better. Climate is going to start to get better, right? Because of the work that has been done. Everything is getting better if you really look at it from a statistical point of view, right? And if we are getting better, that means we will need more support in managing these ideas, these things that happen with, 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 uh, with high, high quality life, with ease of pleasure that we have in today's life. And because of that, coaching is getting more and more momentum because more and more people recognize that they are feeling anxious, that they do feel depressed. They don't, they don't, they're not happy in their careers. They want to choose a career that feels more exciting, feels more relevant to them. All these things that otherwise we would not even think about just 10 years ago. Now we deeply care for And that is why we need more coaches in the world. And that is why coaching is getting so much more name and so many more people are propping up as becoming coaches. Okay. I want to drill down on something you just said, because I'm not entirely sure I got one piece of it. 
So we are sort of manufacturing problems because things are good. And you you referenced homeostasis. So homeostasis, right? You got bad over here and you got really good over here. And we're trying to have a balance in the middle, right? Not too much of this, not too much of that. So are you saying that because our lives are so comfortable and so easy, we're manufacturing things so that we can be in more balance in the middle because it's just too damn easy? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is what I'm saying. That is what, and it's not that we are manufacturing it. It's, that, would be, that would be unfair to individuals who are feeling the anxiety and depression and so forth. But what it has done is become aware. We've become aware of those things now. Even if previously, so say for example, I, I grew up in India, like, like we talked about previously yeah. in this conversation. Nobody when I grew up talked about anxiety. Nobody. Did all of us have anxiety even crossing the road? Absolutely, yes, because there nobody followed the rules at that time. When you were crossing the road, sometimes you didn't even go to the light, you just crossed the road. Did you have anxiety when you were crossing the road because you were at risk of, of losing your life? Absolutely. Did we talk about it? No, right? So it wasn't that anxiety wasn't present at that time. Our other problems were so much bigger and so much tangible, like money, food, clothing, medicine, problems like that that happen day to day, that those problems never really got attention. Finally, when we are getting to a comfortable level of life where food is cheap, even if it might not be nutritious, you can you don't have to be hungry, right? You can eat really cheap meals. But now that we can afford all of that, now we are actually bringing attention to things that were always there and now are really being, now we can be vocal about it. We can actually address it. Does that make sense? It so it's not necessarily that we are manufacturing it. No, no, no. I, I mean, that was my word, manufacturing. But I, however you want to phrase it, we're, we're calling it into our life. We're attracting towards. I, I, I got what you. So then if your life is centered, which I love, around it being fun and putting all the other, you know, like uh, to use a Stephen Coveyism, right? You, 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 you put the big, big blocks in place, right? So if your life is around fun, do you ever find that, you know, you wake up and you go, I mean, could it be this easy? Like I'm, I'm, I'm playing with my kids and I'm, I'm, I'm going on long walks with my life and with my wife and, and, and I'm, I'm doing strength training and I, I like, I love it. Just, when's the other shoe going to drop? Like it's that there's got to be something. There's got to be some shit I could worry about. Is do you struggle with that? I do, and that's why I actively create the things that I want to worry about. So, so it, it's the truth, right? You're you're right. Some days I wake up, I'm like, this is crazy. This How is just crazy. Easy? Like especially coming from my background, right. I'm like, this is just like this is not even my life. This is somebody else's life. I just I don't know how I am here. Right. Like, how am I doing this? It makes no sense whatsoever, right? I'm not qualified in the sense of like the traditional education system. I'm not qualified to do this, but I have built myself somehow to be here today and it's working so for some reason, right? So, so yes, and what I've always, and this is why it's important for us to stay present too, that if we won't create interesting challenges in our lives, life will create challenges for us. It's like almost like you can be proactive about your life or reactive about your life. <clears throat> so, for example, like for no reason whatsoever, 
I started saying, I need to do strength training because I want to have six-pack abs. There's no reason was I was healthy before. It wasn't like I was unhealthy. I had a medical, nothing. I was just like, I just want to have six-pack abs. So yeah. it's, a, it's a challenge I created, which led me to strength training, which now I'm in love with. But when I started, it was a pain in the butt. I was like, sure. what is this? I'm sore every day. Right. I hate Why being I sore every day. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I'm sore. I did a good work yesterday. I'm enjoying it now, right? New association, yeah. New association, and it happens, right? But but you have to actively choose those things. You have to actively, like recently, I was just recording this um, this this podcast for 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 my podcast episode, and I was I was sharing how creatively sometimes, and it was around money on how to how to how to really work on your money beliefs and money money mindset. And one of the things that that I was sharing was that you need to always create money beliefs. You can't just say, oh, this is my money belief and I'm operating from it, right? You have to push yourself to be able to say, what if, you know, like, or what if, or wh why would this work, right? So one of the beliefs that I created about around I was 35 is, was why would I be valued at $100 million? I'm paraphrasing this, but why would I be valued at $100 million before I'm 40, right? As an educator, as a coach, Yep. right? Now, I have no reason to actually want $100 million. I actually don't even know in some ways what will I do if I was valued at $100 million. Nothing probably will change in my life as I live it, at least. It might be my investments might change, but my life will probably not change much. Right? right. But the reason why that question was evident to me at that time is evident to me today is because I know that gets my mind, gets my soul to say, oh, how do you expand? How do you create that much value? Like $100 million. Mm. That's a lot of value. Like you need to do some like Crazy epic stuff. stuff to be able yeah. to get there, right? As a yeah, person yeah. to be valued that. So I'm like, wow, that would be amazing. But it's not that I have to do it. I'm very comfortable. Like we talked about, life is good. But that creates a challenge I'm creating for myself. Proactively seeking, that's what's going to be difficult. Not gonna feel the anxiety being or the anxiety that gets created just because you know somebody cut me off in traffic or you know anger that comes because of that because that doesn't even matter in my worldview. I'm trying to build six pack abs and hundred million dollars in value and live the most epic life and have kids that are that are really healthy from the get go and and have the most romantic life ever. So I am not even worried if somebody cut me off in the traffic because that's not that's not a thing. I, it's not even in my reality. It doesn't bother me. But because I proactively chosen chosen to have that stressor, that challenge in the way that creates a life that is exciting to me. Okay, I wanna jump in for 15 seconds and say, if you're an entrepreneur grinding away and not taking time to experience extraordinary things around the world with other entrepreneurs, you may wanna join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind to Dubai on November 19th. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. Cool, got it. Okay, so in our uh, remaining minutes, I'm gonna ask you some weird questions. Uh, just roll with it. What do people often get wrong about you? That I am uh, very uh, reserved as a person. I am only reserved when I first meet you. Okay. Mostly because I'm trying to understand how to communicate. You, I have you, a little bit of introversion in me. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're checking under the hood. I get it. What is one thing in your life that you've not gotten to yet? And if you don't get to this thing, you're going to have massive regret. Dedicating more time to writing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I did that when I, when I first started in 2015. And then it just kind of like everything else took over. I got kids and everything, you know. 
Uh, yeah. So I really didn't prioritize my writing. I would love to start doing that again. Okay, now this is the opposite question. What are some things that you're currently doing that you don't love and you want to do less of? Mm. What do I not love right now? In this moment, I am not loving that my mother likes to make food and that does not fit in with my health goal. So I absolutely would love to change that. And she refuses to change. Uh, this sounds like a new Netflix comedy special. I love it. What's an unusual or absurd thing that you love? People would look at you and go, God, that's weird. Why do you like this? But you love it. Is there anything that comes to mind that's a little unusual, maybe even absurd, but you love it? I, I, I don't know if it's unusual or absurd, but I love uh, superhero movies and I can watch them again and again and again by myself in a movie theater. I don't need any company. I could just do it again, again, again. That counts. That counts. Yeah. <laughs> if, you could, if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Oh, anywhere in the world, one month, anywhere in the world. A lot of favorite destinations. If I had to pick just one, well, I haven't been to Asia in a while. So I would do Malaysia, Thailand, Bali. Like it's been a two, two and a half years we have visited Asia. So right now, probably that's calling most. All right. Are there any positions or opinions that you've changed your mind on where one, one you used to think, I used to think this way, but I, I changed my mind. I don't think that way anymore. What comes to mind when I ask that? I, I would say if you talk to me every month, you will find a thing that I've changed my mind on. So <laughs> I, I will probably change answer. my mind on uh, that. I've changed my mind on it. <laughs> so, so because I, I believe in philosophy and evolution and, and that requires change. So I don't think I can point one thing. That's why you're as successful as you are because you're not holding on to it. I love it. Okay. So we'll do a speed round here. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? I can be calm under the most stressful situations possible. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? I think the one thing that I love the most is writing and philosophy. And I would hope that more people will ask that question. Okay. What book have you reread the most? Mm -hmm. I have not reread many books. Actually, I haven't reread any book. I read the book only once and then I flip over them, but I don't really read them again. I've asked that question 400 times. You're the only one who's ever answered it that way. I love that. <laughs> That's so interesting. Everybody's like, man, search for meaning. And you're like, mm, none. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I read man, search for meaning once. <laughs> one time. I'm a one and done. Two more questions. What is your guilty pleasure? Food. I love food. food. I love eating. Yeah. Good food. Yeah. So you have this uh, yin yang with mom, I'm sure. I'm sure her food's yeah. great. But it's, it's amazing. It's a great it, challenge to be in. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It is not helping the six pack abs, mom. I love it. Last question. We'll change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? What got you started this podcast? Why did you start this podcast? Because I was hungry for information initially around how can I live a life that was less businessy focused and more fun focused. And I really, really had a struggle with it. So I originally started the show as Work Hard, Play Hard, where I was going to interview entrepreneurs. We we're going to talk about work and then we we're going to talk about play. And you know what happens? I got nowhere. 
all of the entrepreneurs were great when it came to work. But when we talked about play, nothing was useful. And so I slowly started evolving and saying, okay, I'm just going to talk to people about their lives and I'm going to find ways that I could get value from them. Like we just talked about, like I'm going to, I literally just drew a big box where I put fun in the middle of it and business on the outside of it. So um, now I'm going to be able to extract things from people that I think can help people to do what I wanted the show to do in the first place. So I changed the show from work hard, play hard to, to the Rob Murgatroyd show. And now I talk about anything. So that's, that's why I did it. Ah, awesome. that's a great reason for doing it. I love it, man. Well, listen, we're going to link everything up in the show notes. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for people that are listening? I would say that the thing that I want to leave everybody with is, and this is because I'm hearing a lot of this recently and it's becoming more and more noisy, is what I am finding and what data is suggesting of how the world is moving right now is that more and more people are losing hope, just general hope, hope in what they can create in their life, hope in what they can do or not do, hope with love, hope with relationships, with parenting. And and I want to encourage you to really ask yourself this question and, and really inquire within on, on what is the world that you like to see? Would you like a world that is losing hope or would you like a world that is full of hope? And if your answer is the, is the latter, which is a world full of hope, I invite you to take action towards creating that world because our generation and the next generation is probably going to define if our world progresses towards a more hopeful future, or do we lose hope in a future that could be more beautiful than our present? So my invitation for anybody that's listening to this podcast is hope, hope for better and hope for creating and, and support the hope of creating a better world. I love that. I really, really, truly, hand to heart, enjoyed this interview with you. I understand why all of my friends said I have to get you on the podcast. So thank you for being so open. And uh, you got a great energy, man. I really appreciate it. And I, I might even borrow a hat from you. I might try it because that hat looks <laughs> damn good on you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we love you. hats, both me and my wife. So. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for, for inviting me. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 